So welcome those of you that are here. Today, we are in our final part of our Apprentices of Jesus message. And if you weren't here for the other two, our first one, we had Damo Porter speaking, and he introduced to us a kind of an older word that defined what being an apprentice was, and that word was being bound to someone. You were bound to the person that you were apprenticing under. And his challenge to us was, who are we bound to? We are all learning every day, every moment of every day. So who are we learning off? What are we learning? Who are we bound to? What are we bound to? And what messages are we learning from them? And, and his challenge was, be bound to Christ. Bind your life with his and learn from who he was and is and continues to be in our lives. And then last week, um, we looked at... Oh, okay, I just got to do a little interlude here. My ch- I was challenged to listen to my sermons back. It's horrendous, just putting it out there. So you all know, if you ever have to do a sermon and someone challenges you to listen to it, I can tell you exactly how many times I said um last week, and that was count number one for today. So um, just so you know, we're both trying to be aware of it. You can just like wave at me every time I say um. That doesn't count. That does not count. Um, oh, oh my goodness. Now this is going to happen. Okay, this is going to be my PB yet. All right, so last week we talked about the... Uh, that was an R, that wasn't um. We talked about the disciples. We talked about, too, the Acts church and how their church grew so quickly and numbers were added to the, their church and the kingdom of God daily because of the way they behaved. We learn in Corinthians how it talks about all followers of Jesus are part of the one body. And you bring something different, and you bring something different, and we're together, we can do amazing and great things. We also emphasized last week that when members of our body are absent, we suffer for it. We're all the poorer when they are not here. And we didn't have a sermon on attendance, we had a sermon on engagement, but certainly your attendance kind of connects with your ability to engage. We talked last week about, are you, a bit of a self-check, are you a casual consumer of your spirituality? Or are you a committed contributor, a member of the body that is fully active and working for God's cause? We're all part of something great. And today, we want to talk about the kind of final little end bit. We're kind of at our graduation today. In year five and six, um, my dad, my dad was the pastor at Gunnedah Church, Gunnedah and Coonabarabran. And we didn't often go to Coonabarabran because it was a long drive, but I was enrolled into a small Christian school, Gunnedah Christian Community School, I think it was called. We had... Two rooms, only two classrooms, they were composite classrooms, and Miss Noon was the teacher of the uh, junior, like the junior part of the school, and I have racked my brain all this week to remember what my teacher's name was, but I can't remember his actual name, I can only remember the name that we called him by, 
and referred him to. And it had something to do with his very large two front teeth. We called him, not nice, I now realise, Mr. Bucky Beaver. And so I was in Bucky Beaver's class um, and one part of class that I hated was maths. I've never made it secret that numbers aren't my gig. They're just not. And that's part of the reason why I married Neil, because he excels in numbers. Um, we'd probably be bankrupt if I was in charge, but we're not. Um, thank you to Neil. Numbers aren't my gig. Numbers stress me. We moved around a lot. Um, pastors used to be moved a lot years ago, and I think I went to 13 schools, but this was still in primary school. I was in year five, and somewhere along the way, I'd missed the rote learning of times tables. Like, numbers are bad, but times tables were evil. And every Friday morning, out of respect, we'll go Mr. Bucky Beaver. Um, Mr. Bucky Beaver would give us a times tables test. We'd have to sit in our chairs. He'd call out the times tables. You would have to write them down. Then, of course, you would have to swap your paper with someone else's paper, and then they would mark it, and then you would get your paper back and nearly, like, faint. Uh, then you would be called one by one. He would call out your name. You had to stand up and then yell back to him the number that you got right in the test. So this weird phenomenon used to happen on a Friday morning. I just felt it come over. Like, you know, I'd wake up and couldn't really eat my breakfast that day. There's just a bit of queasiness in my stomach. And then it was like, no, there's something going around. I probably shouldn't be at school today. Like, for the sake of everyone else, I don't want to pass on what's happening to me. So... I tried very hard to um, convince my family that on Friday mornings there was just a real reoccurring sickness that used to happen. It worked for a little while. Um, depending how I caught them, I could um, miss a couple of Fridays here and there. But the problem was I saw this times table issue, this times table exam, uh, this test in front of everyone, and the way I looked at it was I just need to get rid of it. The way I can get rid of it is I'm just going to fake and look, I, I could do it well. I can say that now because there can really be no consequences to the amount of times that I wagged school because I said I was sick and I actually wasn't. Uh, but I did it well. I could run from the problem. I could push it away, just pretend I wasn't there. Lots of times, I'm not going to lie, I stood in that classroom and when he called my name, I just stood up and this was his the response that he got. I thought, surely the tears, he'll just go, oh, Sarah, sit down. No, it was, what did you get? Um, and I had to blurt it out. It was, it was bad. I hated maths, but I wanted to run from that problem. And that problem not faced is actually something that continues to plague me today. I'm like, don't put me in charge of stuff. Give me a sidekick that's really good at that. And um, we'll have fun doing it, but um, it would be more accurate if they were doing it. So... I don't think I'm the only one in this space. How many of you can relate to you have an issue or something that is a little bit messy or you don't really want to deal with and your first reaction is, let me just get as far away from that as possible? 
It might look like for you in your workplace when a something comes to you, an issue or something that's really uncomfortable and your first response is, how can I connect this to someone else? Let me find the tiniest connection that this has to someone else so I can just brush it that way and go, that's their issue. It doesn't need to come to me. And that's what I do. Or it might be something in your workplace that comes to you and you're like, surely, surely I don't need to deal with this, it's too hard. Actually, that's above my pay grade. Let's just send that up to someone else. Or it might be that you look at it and go, I don't really want to deal with this. And you go, well, actually, that should have been dealt with before it even came to me. I'm going to push that back down to the people under me. Or it could be a friendship thing at school where there's some kind of conflict and instead of facing that head on, you're like, oh, I just can't deal with that today. I'm just going to go and play basketball. Or I'm just going to go to the library. Or I'm just going to do something else. Hang out with the chaplains. Good choice, by the way, if you're going to do it. They're pretty cool. Or it might be that you look at your child's behavior and that's a little bit offensive to yourself. And you're like, actually, <laughs> you love me. Actually, I don't really want to deal with that. So you know what? That behavior, that's just become a phase. And they'll grow out of it. Phases can last a really long time when they're not dealt with. Speaking from experience. A problem rises up in our face and we look at it and we want to run, we want to shove it, we want to distribute it out to other people, it's common to a lot of us. And it was common to the disciples as well. We don't naturally like being challenged. Some of us are like, yeah, I love going on to the next thing. I love learning. And we like to be challenged when it's fun and when it seems solvable, when it seems within our grasp. But as soon as it seems outside of our comfort zone, then the challenge can become offensive. And then we want to run or we want to walk or we want to shove or burden someone else. Walking into difficulty is uncomfortable. And Jesus saw this same behavior in his disciples and said, I think they need a lesson. And so being apprentices of Jesus, if Jesus gives his followers a lesson, then we should jump on board and ride that lesson and learn from it as well. So instead of reading it this morning, I'm going to let us watch the first lesson. Tell me what you think of this. A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two sons did the will of the father? The first! You've been asking about food. Yes. I want to show what they have. Something can feed one family of thousands. I just wanted to do what I could. The kingdom of heaven. You okay? It's like a treasure hidden in a field. 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What do you mean by that? No, I don't know. Let me say it another way. Instead of, we should It's like a merchant in search of fine Why? pearl. Why? There's no way to feed these One people. pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Listen carefully, because this is accessible to all of you, regardless of race or creed. It's the last thing we need the to do. The kingdom okay, is so saying. valuable that once you have glimpsed it, it's worth parting with everything you have in order to gain it. We shouldn't burden him. Even though to others you might look like a fool, throwing away your life savings to buy what would look to others an unremarkable field. But you know of the hidden treasure. That makes it worth everything. Have you come closer to here better? No, there, there is an issue. My friends, if you'll excuse me, I must speak with my students a moment. Rabbi, mm. people are out of food. Some have been without food for days, others have traveled a great distance. So, give them something to eat. We're out of food. They're out of food. Is it time to send them home? Well, at this point, they're so hungry and tired, if we send them home, they're faint along the way. You knew they were hungry? Yes, Judas. I can see them while I'm talking. Ah. <laughs> hmm. Well, this is a tough one. Where can we buy some bread for all these people? We only came with a little over 200 denarii. Rabbi, that's not even enough to get a little bit for everyone. I wouldn't even know how to calculate that. Matthew and I can calculate that. That's really easy. Maybe if we go into the cities, we can negotiate something on credit. Yes. Yes, that could work. Negotiate with whom? The closest city is Abila, and its entire population is here. It's nine miles away, and even if we raided every house in town, we'd have to find a way to bring it back here, and it would still only feed a fraction of the masses. Can you bring me anything? Surely there's some food from someone, even a small amount. Five loaves of bread and two fish. But what is this for so many? Barley loaves. Two fish and five barley loaves. Thank you for clarifying. This is I can do a lot with this. Thank you. Blessed are you, Lord our God. King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. But they find some bread. If they've got bread, be ready. We'll probably be first. Feed them. What has changed? Are we organize the people into groups of 50 and 100? Gather up 12 baskets to distribute the loaves and fish. Was I unclear? Ah, no. The 
This feels familiar. Maybe. Let's go. Does anyone have a basket? Please borrow a basket. Anyone? Or two? Please. Come on. Yes, yes over here. Feed them. Yes. Anyone have a basket? The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the gardens. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make their nests in its branches. I've got one. Let's just break up the bread. How need we have? There, you take some. There. Just need some. Give me some of that. Yeah, yeah. There, there. Anyone need some? It's better than the tail. That's the last of it. Yeah, that's the last of it. All right, Marcus, you can have your basket back. I've kept you here all this time giving you spiritual food. But you clearly need actual food now. So let's eat! In Matthew 14, 13 to 21, the story is recorded. And in verse 15, we realize, we see that the disciples are realizing that there is a problem. And that seems far too big for them to solve. And their solution to the problem is, let the people go away. Let them fend for themselves. Send them back to their homes. This is just too big for us. Let's pass this responsibility on to someone else. Let's shove it back to them. But in this moment, in this story, Jesus teaches his followers then and his followers now, which is you and I, that compassion for people is a God-orientated response that we should have to people in need. When we see an issue, when we see a problem rising, we shouldn't be focusing on that thing. We focus on the people that are behind it. And then Jesus replies, they don't need to go away. 
Just give them something to eat. And you see the disciples' response. We've only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And in verse 19, he directs the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gives thanks, breaks the loaves and then gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. Our compassion for others should motivate us as followers of Jesus Christ to look for solutions rather than looking for a way to palm off or to hand or to push back from. We are called as his followers to see people, to look beyond the issue and to be compassionate to others, compassionate, motivated to find a solution because we care about them. Jesus is teaching his disciples that there's a right way and a wrong way to respond to a challenge. One is to wish your challenges away, while the other is to think outside the box and trust the God that created you to come through with a solution because they're his people. But just like you and me, it seems... Sometimes we get taught a lesson and it doesn't stick with us. So we move on in time and Jesus is with his disciples again and goes, I think you need a little recap on that lesson I taught you back then. So let's have a look at the second lesson that they are given. It is not sustainable for me to do all the preaching, all the healing, and ministering. I've called you to Simon's home today and thank you, Eden, for hosting because our ministry will only grow and we want it to grow till the end of the age. There will be many more followers and like those not here, all will have roles and responsibilities. Most will be disciples, students. But I have chosen you 12 as my apostles. You're sending us? An apostle is the same as a messenger, one who... I know what it means, Matthew. That's why I'm asking. You are my leaders. And for this mission I have for you, it's best that you spread out and not be concentrated in one place. I... I don't understand. I'm going to go home to Nazareth for a time, and while I'm there, I'm sending you out in every direction, two by two, specifically to our people only. Every direction, Rabbi? Yes, but not to the Gentiles. Not yet. That will come in time. But to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, just as Joshua led the 12 tribes to take the promised land. You will proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while you are on this mission, you will heal the sick and the lame by anointing them with oil. You will cast out demons. You will clean. What? Why are you all looking at me like that? 
could, could you just repeat that one more time? I'm sending you out two by two, proclaiming as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Uh, how soon are we talking about here? There's that word again. I'll get to that, Simon. Hold on. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. While you are on this mission, I grant you this authority. Someday, you will have it all the time. Was that a ceremony I missed? This is it. Don't feel any different? I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. With all due respect, Rabbi, we've only just begun as students. We're not nearly qualified enough. Why would you need us for this work? He doesn't need us. He wants us. Thank you, Zeev. Very good. John, if I needed religious leaders or qualified students for my ministry, I wouldn't have chosen. <laughs> well, you get the point. Can we get back to the part about healing the sick for one second? You will take nothing for your journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money. Not even Salome's food. Wear sandals and do not bring an extra tunic. We can't even bring a change of clothes? Even the wandering cynic philosophers carry a second tunic. Yes, they do. And I'd like to distinguish you from the cynics. They also carry beggar's bags for people to put gold and silver coins into. And you will not do that. You received without paying. Now give without pay. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And if anyone should not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or town. Do not waste your time. You said if anyone will not listen to our words. What words exactly? What are we supposed to teach? Anything you've ever heard from me. I've only ever heard the one sermon. You heard the best one, huh? I mean, don't get me wrong, they're all so good. That message was not just for the thousands that were there. It was for all who will hear it from now until the end of the age. How will they know it, you ask? Good question. Thanks for asking. You will tell them. And the places you will go are places I will soon go. So you are preparing the way for my arrival and helping ensure that more people are ready to hear the good news. The miracles you'll perform on God's authority will prove my ministry. Suppose we hit a bad streak and several towns in a row reject us, maybe for days. How are we to eat? What if it gets bad, like, like it has with John? Listen carefully, all of you. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So, you're saying we could die? 
there will come a time when this will become far more difficult. When persecution is an ever-present part of your ministry. When that time comes, you will follow in my footsteps and you will know what it actually means to give up your life. In Luke 10, Jesus appoints not just the disciples, but 72 others to join a mission to reveal himself to the world, to get them to see a picture of who God is. In chapter 10, verse 3, he says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs to wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. It was very clear right from the start that they would encounter problems. It was very clear right from the start that this journey could be dangerous. But he asks his followers to be led by the compassion that he has modelled for people and not shrink away from this assignment. And the crazy thing is, all their fear and trepidation at the start, when you read down in the chapter and get to verse 17, it shows a picture of what they felt like when they got home. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You are good. Man, we went on a journey that we were terrified to be a part of. And even more than we were terrified, you then said we couldn't take anything extra, any comforts that would help us along the way. But you asked us to run in to that mission, understanding that you were at the heart of it, that the great big God that we serve is going to work and move, go before you, walk beside you and come along behind you. That's the lesson that we can learn. As followers, we are to be compelled by compassion to seek solutions, not to run. So where do we go? This is the last sermon in this series. We've got um, Pastor Sean preaching next week. So what happens now? And I guess like when you get to the end of most things, you have a graduation, and so how do you graduate from being an apprentice of Jesus? I remember back to my graduation day. My sister had been born um, very early, uh, a few weeks before my actual like formal kind of graduation. So mum was in hospital with Mariah. And so my dad had to take me to the hairdresser, had to deal with the fallout when the hair wasn't quite what I expected. And um, we sprayed a bit of water on it, you know, de- yeah, it, it was big. And I didn't want it big. <laughs> it was very big. 
How do we finish our apprenticeship? How do we graduate from this stage in our journey? Here's the thing when you graduate, and let me, let me just focus on some of you guys that have graduated recently from school. When you graduated from school, Sam, Christian, Jared, was that the pinnacle of your life? Have you learned, put your hand down, that was not, no. Have you learned anything since then? Right answer, well done, thank you. Of course you have. We never stop learning. You graduate, give him a round of applause if it makes him feel better. Well done, we love you, we're glad you're here today. When you graduate from kindy and you get out of preschool and you get to come up to big school and you start in prep, you've graduated from kindy and then you're confronted with prep and you realize, what the heck, there's more to learn. And then you graduate from primary school and you go up and all of a sudden you're a little tiny fish in a big pond again in high school and you're like, what? There's more to learn. And then you graduate from high school, you go to uni, then you go to your first job, then you get married and you realize there's a heck of a lot that you still need to learn. And then you have kids. The learning continues, but there is a shift that does change. And I want to take you over to Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. The shift is we recognize that we're still going to learn, but there comes a point where we have to be moved into putting that learning into practice. We start becoming the doers. And then in becoming the doers, we then grab other people along with us and take them for the ride, teach them what we have learnt along the way. Then, verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some, even in that moment, after all of their teachings and experience, like you and I, some of them still doubted, just weren't quite sure of what was going on. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore, because of what has happened, therefore, because of all the experiences that you've gone through, Therefore, because of all the training that I have given you, the lessons you've learned, the -the on-the-job lessons that you've learned, because of all that, because you've come so far, go and make disciples. It's time for his disciples to go, no longer am I just sitting at your feet and learning. I've got to get my hands dirty. We're about to do some things. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, don't start stressing, you people whose stress levels rise quickly, me included. Hang on. I'm asking you to do this, but I'm with you. I'm going to go before you. And when you're on this journey, I'm going to walk beside you and I'm going to come up behind you. There's a gap between your mouth and the ears of the people that hear and I'm going to be in that gap. 
I'm going to be with you, not just for a week, not just until you get the hang of it, not just till you've baptized one person and then like to check, I'm gone, checking out, you're good on your own. That's not what he says. I will be with you until the end of the age. It was time for his disciples, his followers that had become disciples, to become disciple-making disciples. Their task was to pass on everything that they had learned, even if it was just one sermon, even if it's one sentence that you can remember, even if it's just your story, your own journey with Jesus Christ, and you can't fill it in with verses or references from the Old Testament or the New Testament, or you don't even know where those are found. You don't have to, even if all you've got is your story. We are called as his followers and disciples to disciple others, to share that with someone else, to pass on everything that we have learned, even if it's a tiny, tiny little bit. Pass it on. God's calling each of us to journey with him. And there's some of us in this room that might go, well, I'm not 100% sure I'm even up to that yet. And if that's you and you haven't gone through that whole process of, of being baptized and understanding that you're part of the kingdom of God, you, you, you've inherited that, it's yours and you haven't accepted that yet, then we want to be a part of you accepting that. We want to give you the pathway to do that. So if that's you this morning, then we will, I would love for you to come and see me after. We've got some gifts for you. We want to take you on a journey because we want everyone in this room to be disciple-making disciples. Every person in this place, without exception, God needs you. Well, the reality is he doesn't need you, but he wants you. He loves to use you. He wants to use you. Without exception, everyone in here, you are part of the body of Christ and we need you to be part of it. And this is what God needs. God needs you to bind yourself to him. Get in sync with him. Become connected with him. Make a relationship with him. Make it into a habit. Be connected with him. Learn from him. Be schooled by him. That's the first step. And then we need you. God needs you. Your church needs you. The kingdom of God needs you to be an engaged contributor to this cause, not a casual consumer. When you casually consume, nothing changes except maybe for you. But we're called as followers of Jesus to think beyond ourselves, to think more than just about us. We are called to look through compassionate eyes and see and find solutions for those around us. And that solution to this world that is messy is God. 
And we need you to step out into the unknown, into scary, into hard. When you feel like you've got nothing left in your hands, we need you to still step out, understanding and realizing that when your hands feel so weak, that is the very moment that God's strength can triumph. And when we lean into his power, that's when the world can change. We talked last week about so many commentators are saying that our church is dying. Churches worldwide are dying. And my question is, was then and is today, do you want that on your watch? Do you want that for your grandkids, your own kids? Or do you hope someday in the future that you get to walk in here with them into a thriving community where people are being added to God's kingdom daily? So let's have a little reality check because what's the purpose of coming together on a Saturday morning and and hear a nice fluffy story and go, that was all good, but what's lunch? My head goes there, so I'm guessing yours probably does too. What's the point of us sitting here and communicating and read God's word for a period of time, but then not go, hang on a minute, I'm going to apply this, but before I even apply it, where am I at? Where am I at with this whole disciple-making, disciple process? So I'm going to break it down. I'm going to make it really easy, and we're just going to go through three steps. Three things. You see where you identify on this continuum. So the first step is, let me gauge my willingness to be a disciple-making disciple by which one of these levels. First one. I'm willing to be a disciple-making disciple because I'm going to get something out of it. I mean, I'm going to get to heaven, right, if I commit to that? Like, that's level one. I'm going to get something out of it. You know, know, bit of work, but I'll get something out of it. I'll get to heaven. So that's a really great reward. That's level one. But what if we went more than level one? What if we went to level two? Level two is, you know what? If it doesn't impact too much, then I'm in. If I could still can fit in every hobby, every TV show, like I meet with my friends three times a week or I like to sleep for two days straight. Um, that's not a lot of us, but there are some demographics in the room that that's still possible. Um, but... You know, if it doesn't really alter my pattern of behaviour much, it can impact a little, but if it really doesn't change much for me, okay, I'll be a disciple-making disciple. So I'm a little bit further on than I'll just give it a crack because I want to get to heaven. Now we're at the point where we're like, okay, there's a little bit of validity in it. I can see the good, but I'm only going to be involved if it doesn't mean that I have to go to a meeting once a month. Or I probably can commit to being a disciple-making disciple if I don't have to um, do ad safe. Just saying. Or if I don't have to volunteer. I'm happy to be a disciple-making disciple if I don't actually have to contribute any money to it, like financially to my church, because like things are tight. 
What if everybody in this room moved to the third stage and went, you know what? I believe in this cause because I understand the sacrifice that God has made to me. I am 100% in. I'm all in. In fact, like the disciples came to the realization is I'm willing to die for this cause because you know what? You were the cause that Christ died for. It was you. And he's asking us to recognize the amazingness that that is, the grace that that is, and get on board with him so other people can fill these empty seats and go, man, Christ died for me? This is so good. I'm compelled to tell about it. And you know, when I tell someone else, I'm going to grab them. I want to take them on the journey with me, and I'm going to disciple them. We in this room are called to be disciple-making disciples, just like the Acts Church that we always rave about that they were so amazing. Do you know why they were amazing? Because they were at level three, and they're just made-up levels to help you understand. But they were all in. They were all in going, my heart is compelled to be a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm graduating from a follower to just, you know, I'm going to get on in and learn you. I'm going to become your disciple, your apprentice. And, you know, I'm going to graduate and I am going to become a disciple-making disciple. When we can do that, we will fill this church When you and you and you and all of your row and all of that row and all of that whole group over there commit to going, I am all in and I will be a disciple-making disciple, I 100% believe that the numbers to God's kingdom will be added daily when people can get on board with what he's called us to do. So I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to pray with you, but before I do, I just want to give you a little tiny moment between you and the God that created you, between you and the God that's calling you, inviting you into his mission to change this world. And I want to give you a little bit of space for you to have a conversation with God and go, who could it be, God? Who could I disciple? Who could I grab and even just tell them and share with them the tiny little story that is my relationship with you? Who could that person be? Who has he placed in your sphere right now? And you could just realize, huh, that's why they're in my life. That's why that annoying person at work greets me every day. What if, what if God is bringing them back round past my desk every single day so I can connect with them? What if the awkward person that people might think is slightly weird at school has gravitated to your group because God has thought, I'll send him there because they're my people. They will look after him. They will show him mercy. They will show him grace and kindness. What if the partner that you're with right now is the person that God's asking you to disciple? What a privilege. So who is it 
that God has placed in your life for you to become a disciple-making disciple with. And when we do that as a collective, our world will change and the kingdom will grow and all of heaven rejoices when that happens. Let's pray together. Father God, we sit here with open hands and open hearts asking you to impress upon us who is it that you've placed in our lives? Who do you want us to move forward with, showing them, teaching them, modelling your ways, taking them on a journey just like you took us on a journey, just like you took your disciples on a journey so long ago? Open our eyes to hear, uh, to see, and our ears to hear where you are prompting us to be and give us the courage to know that you are with us and we do it through your power and your strength. Lord, we are so privileged to be a part of your movement. And we say today, we want to move. Thank you for the invitation to be part of this massive ministry. Thank you for trusting us. May we reflect you well to those around us. We love you, God, and whatever we can do to hasten your coming, Lord, prompt us to do that. We long for the day of no grief, no pain, and we, when we can meet again those that we have loved and lost, Lord, may we hasten your kingdom to us. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen.